Welcome to Word is Truth. It is uh, 4-4-2021. It's Resurrection Day. And we are continuing where we left off in our worship service with the thought of the week and prayer. Um, here is the thought of the week uh, taken from first, first Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That this is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in a living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially to those who believe. Can we really say this? God is the Savior of all people. It's a question. In addition, it appears there, excuse me, in addition, it says there appear to be two categories, two categories of people here, those who believe and the rest of mankind. Those who believe has trusted the matter of their soul salvation to Christ. What about the other people, those who do not believe? How can Christ be their savior? Well, Christ earned the right to be the savior of the world by being judged for the sins of every person that would ever be born in Adam. Also, he lived a righteous life before the Father, which also defines him as the only hope for Adam's fallen race. When we tell someone who is not saved that Jesus died for them, and to believe in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are certainly, this is, that is certainly a true statement. He did die for all. And he is the Savior, the only Savior. He is still the Savior. He is still the Savior for that person, even if they do not believe in him. Not that they will be saved in their unbelief, but that they believe to, but they believe in Christ. If they believe in Christ, they will be saved. The only way we can present Jesus as the Savior is that he is indeed the Savior of the world. The only way someone can be lost then if they refuse to believe in Christ. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, or whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's only son, as found in John 3.18. By believing in Christ, the only mediator between God and man, we indeed reconcile, we indeed are reconciled to God. Rejecting Christ does not mean he is not the Savior. It means that they refuse to allow the Savior to save them. I would agree with the Apostle. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I'd like to, uh, just a short commentary on salvation. Uh, in John chapter 35, it says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never 
go home hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Christ paid for the sins of the entire world. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We will now turn the service over to Bill for prayer. Thank you. Okay, so at this time, anyone who knows someone or is standing in need of prayer, this is the time that you do. Um, I you always pray for me, but surely I stand in the need of prayer. Yes, I mentioned earlier um, the the young lady's name is uh, Regina. So she's the one in the hospital. Okay. Okay, so if there be no others, <clears throat> can we just bow our heads forward in prayer? You know, we come before you once again, our final thank you for the privilege and the honor to stand before you. For we want to give praise to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for sure. He died for the whole world, and he did arise, and he did do justice for all of us. And we thank you, O Lord. We praise your name. You know, we want to thank you this morning for all of those Fred, for taking care of that, and we appreciate that. Um, so we are in John, the book of John, chapter 16, verses 5 and 6, on this resurrection day we have uh, reached in 2021. Well, today he is still risen. Yeah, he is risen still, as we say, in our hearts. So the scripture we're about to focus on is, uh, it says, But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. So uh, in your notes, we have, uh, as Jesus prepares to depart, we are privileged to have the testimony of his parting instructions. As the disciples continued to, to, to struggle to process the information delivered, Jesus still has more to reveal. From the disciples' perspective, they were losing a Lord, a Savior, a leader in the person of Christ. Before they could proper, properly process the provision promised in the person of the Holy Spirit, they had to come to terms with Christ's departure. The Father's plan does include some battlefield stress, but our objective is to keep our focus on the plan and those difficulties, and a plan through those difficulties. And remember, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted 
beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So we are fast approaching uh, these uh, pivotal verses here where Jesus is literally going to leave the disciples. And I think what we have before us is precious information uh, that really relates to the church more than anything or anyone else. So we're happy to have this instruction. Just as the disciples, maybe they didn't fully realize it at the time. <laughs> but listen, it is apparent now to us that this was vital information. Let's get right into it. So the first phrase is, but now I am going to him who sent me. So the first thought is, but now, for him to say now, meaning at this time, this is it. Uh, that's pretty stark. So Jesus talked about his departure in the past, but the time is now. You know, and I think about, uh, it's not like Jesus says, well, you know, you guys stay here in Jerusalem. I got to go up to Capernaum. Or, or I got to go to Galilee or somewhere, or Nazareth. That's not how this is going down. They know Jesus is talking about him leaving through death. And they know also from all of that he has said that it is a violent death. One where he will be crucified. So this is not new to the disciples, but he's literally saying the time is now. So, yes, you were distressed earlier when I mentioned this, but now I'm telling you is right here, right now. I'm getting ready to leave. And sure enough, he was. As he finishes this discourse with the rest of chapter 16 and through 17, he, in 18, he says, come now, let, let's get ready, let's go. In fact, here's the, the verse. When we talk about now, verse 18, 1, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples, crossed the Kidron Valley. To, on the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. So you know all of these things are about to happen. And the last part of it is a prayer to the Father. The last part of the discourse, that is, is a prayer to the Father. And after that, they're gone. And when he says now, he means it. Because once he gets to the garden, then uh, Judas is coming. Judas, with a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees, carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. So... When Jesus says is now, he means now. Like, we're getting ready to go. Right now. And all of these things are going to happen. The disciples are getting ready to go on a roller coaster that they would have never expected. There's one thing when you know you're going on a roller coaster. and You're slowly climbing up that, 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 the, the, the huge hill and slowly, slowly. I remember we used to go to Coney Island and the cyclone was the big ride. And sure enough, uh, that was crazy. I will never do that again. Never, never do that again. All the wonder of childhood has left me. I have no, no, no desire to do that. But anyway, 
But then you get up there, and then soon goes down, and it, it just is rough. The disciples are getting ready to go on that roller coaster of emotional. Uh, they're going to be totally taken. The whole world is going to be turned upside down for them. And it's going to happen now, Jesus is saying. So just to set the tone. So point B, the disciples had divine protection when Jesus was with them. But now he was leaving. And all things will be different. And we know that from our context that we studied here. He says, all this I have told you while I'm, uh, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a t the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are doing uh, or offering a service to God. So it's religious persecution. They're about ready to be immersed in it. They're going to be hiding and running from the Jews and, uh, and then the religious leaders. Uh, they're going to have crucified Christ, which in their minds they think they won. However, they just they have no clue of what's going to happen next. As we have been talking about, it's Resurrection Day. Well, Christ was raised from the dead and it shocked them as well. Sent them into a whole nother uh, plan of how could they silence Christ and silence those who were his followers, who were emboldened by his resurrection. So that's the first, as we're moving on, and then point C, Christ is going back to the Father who sent him. Now just imagine this for a minute. I said, isn't that interesting? Is that interesting to you? Imagine that to know and talk to someone like Jesus. I mean, I, how do you wrap your, your mind around... Listen, if somebody told me they came from heaven and they came down from the Father and now they're here and then they're going back to the Father, to me, that's, that's heavy. Would I have questions for? <laughs> yes, a lot. And in some ways, I think when I'm listening to the narrative of these four witnesses, uh, in some ways... It's almost like, even though Christ said these things, I don't think they fully wrapped their minds around what he said. To me, listen, he says, I'm going back to the Father who sent me. So Christ has consciousness in heaven with the Father, and yet the Father sent him and into the world, and we have all read that Hebrews 10 passage where he says, Lo, I come and the volume of the book is written to me to do your will, O God, a body you have prepared for me. We've all read that in Hebrews 10, 4, 5, somewhere in there. And yet, what questions would you have for someone who has been to the third heaven? Who has met, talked, knows the Father, and now is on some sort of mission? Because the Father sent him on this mission, and now he's going back to the Father. So some scriptures uh, where we can see where Jesus said, said similar comments. Let's go to John 3.13 first. We're going to go through these very fast. John 3.13, this is what Jesus says. No one has ever seen, has ever gone into heaven, 
Now that statement is profound in that we know that Elijah was in a whirlwind in a chariot headed up to the heaven. But he didn't get to heaven. Where did he get to? Paradise. Abraham's bosom. He did not go to heaven. He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. I get that. He came from heaven, but he wasn't the Son of Man until he came, until he was born on earth. He was the Son of God. He was God, eternal God. But then uh, he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now that makes him unique in and of itself. I mean, I would have loads of questions. I just want to, I would just want to be near him so I could hear him talk. He, he's come from heaven, going back to heaven. Wow. Uh, I'd, I'd say that's such a unique. John 6, and, and John 6 has quite a few of them, so we're going to pop around there. John six thirty eight says, um, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So very similar verse, but it helps us know the motivation that Jesus had. Came he, 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 here? He's here to do the Father's will. He came from he down. From, he recognizes about his, uh, you know, history of being in heaven, and how that was his abode. And now he came. He was sent on a mission. Wow, that's that's unique. And then skip down to verse 51. We have very similar. And there's more, too. I'm not picking every one. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the, for the life of the world. So he's given it for the life of the world. Whoever eats the bread is the ones who will not die, live forever and such. Very similar to the thought of the week that was read earlier. Verse 62. 62 says, Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Right? And he's talking about spiritual things, the disciples that are there, said this is a hard teaching. We, we, we don't know. We're talking about, uh, you're saying some heavy things to us. And a lot of the disciples left him, as you know, they left grumbling. And um, and so he said, does this offend you? And what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? So what we're talking about is somebody unique. Somebody absolutely unique that has been to heaven. This is miraculous. Just having Jesus walk around on the streets. Uh, is miraculous. He's and he has consciousness of heaven, and for him to say no man has gone to heaven, wow, that's that's unique position. No one can say that but Jesus. So then there's John sixteen. We'll skip to sixteen. <clears throat> there's more verses here. You could look them up. Twenty eight through thirty says, for I came from the Father and entered the world. Sounds like he's talking about, like he, he's from another place on earth. 
he, he talks about it that freely. That's it's so easy for him. His consciousness in, envelops not only his sojourn here on the earth, but what happened in heaven. He says, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now, I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Very explicit, very clear. Then Jesus' Jesus's disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you come that you came from God. So Jesus says in verse 31, I know that's not in our verse. Do you now believe? Jesus replied, "Wow." At this point, uh, the disciples got it. Uh, we're going to get cover these verses. I can't wait to get through to some of these verses, but you know, we got time. We got plenty of verses before we get to those. So we got plenty to do. Let's keep going in our notes. From what this is point D, from what we can see, Jesus is part of a plan that is unfolding and at a critical point in time. So that's one we can draw that conclusion that this is a critical juncture in uh, the Lord's ministry where he leaves, where he departs. And his departure is been prophesied by him many times. The disciples were tired of hearing hearing that he said this. So finally, Peter said, don't say this anymore. This is not true. First, this is not true. Don't say it anymore. Stop saying it. And it was true, thank God, that he did go to the cross and that he did pay for the sins of the world. Wow. Can you imagine what Peter was saying? Uh, and we're so happy so so glad that none of that is that Peter said was true and that what exactly what happened was what Christ said so we can depend on it we we can trust in it so it's a critical critical point here that we're at and the disciples are reacting to it of course just as we would expect it is a human response that they should be upset so point E is, it is a privilege to know that God includes, includes us in the accomplishing of his eternal plan. We are rewarded for our decisions and faithful, excuse me, faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about, for we must all um, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And each one of us will receive what is due him do them for what we have done while in the body. So our decisions are important. And when we think about our decisions, we're, we're saying that God has given us the privilege of including us. He didn't have to. He could have just did it. He could have just said, you know, all this is done. I don't need uh, anybody's particular choice of faithfulness and choice to believe. Or He could have rearranged this whole thing. But you know what he did? He included us. That's privileged to be included, to be rewarded for the decisions that we make in our faithfulness. That's, that's precious, we must say. And we, we should value that. 
I mean, if you don't even think of, oh, you know, we have an opportunity to be rewarded. You know, in, in some th theologies, there's there are no rewards. They're like, what do you mean reward? We all get to heaven. That's all there is. If we just can be saved, we could just make it in that number. That's all we need. Never mind. That, rewards are not even in their theology. So for them, God didn't point point E in our notes is not relevant because they don't see that our decisions make any difference at all. But God, he, he uses us in his plan. And it, let's, let's just say it, it's a privilege to serve the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about it. So we're going to continue. So he says, but now... I am going to him who sent me. This is the time. And then point number two, none of you asks me, where are you going? So um, first, we just have to say, Peter did ask where Jesus was going. In fact, those were the very words he said in, in John 13 and 36. And we have to say, you know, I remember when I looked at this and I thought, wow. Jesus said no one asks him, but then if I go to John 13, 36, it says, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. So, interesting, uh, Peter did ask the question, where are you going? Christ says no one has asked the question, so what is it? What is going on here? So that's what I had to at least try to answer. So he did ask, but he was not prepared for the answer based on his response. So let's see why I say that. So when Jesus says, no one asks me, where are you going? I think it ties into the other passage where I kind of tried to help you understand how unique this person was. Jesus is going to heaven. He's going back to the Father. And it, it, you would think there are more questions there. But no, not really. And what do we get from this? And let's look at a couple thoughts here. Um, let's look at first Peter's response. So the, the question goes back to John 13. Um, let's see. 33. 1333. My children... I will be with you only a little longer. So notice the uh, the difference in time here. It's a short period of time because here, only a little longer, but now I am going to him who sent me. So he's very much closer to um, his departure in our 16, chapter 16, than he was in chapter 13. Uh, same day, but he's even like, it's time to go right now in our chapter. Here he says, oh, just a little while, I'll be with you a little while longer. He says, you'll look for me just as I told the Jews, I tell, so I tell you where I am going, you cannot come. Uh, and then he goes off with the new command to love one another. And as I have loved you, so that so you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, 
Lord, where are you going? Now, what was, Simon, what was really on Simon Peter's mind when he asked that question? Where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. So you would think Peter would follow up with that question. He says, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? <laughs> so I will lay down my life for you. This is an emotional response. What do you? What does him laying down his life for Christ have to do with? Uh, and this is what we talked about last week. Peter was so emotional that he disregarded the word of God. He's he's he pulled out his sword. Remember when? Uh, and this is a little later that evening. He pulls out his sword. And he cuts off the ear of Malchus. He does this in an emotional uh, outburst because he does not want Jesus to be taken. But Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. That is not the way this is going to go down. I could, if this is, listen, I'm not in danger. I'm providing protection for you. I could call 12 legions of angels if I needed to. My father would give them to me in a, just like that. So it wasn't about Peter protecting Christ. Christ was protecting Peter. There was another scripture that said, Satan desires to sift you guys as wheat. In other words, he would, but I have prayed to the father and protected you, basically. So it wasn't that they were protecting Christ with some sword. It was that Christ, through the fact that he was the divine savior, the Christ, by virtue of the fact that he was protected in the world, they were protected in the world. So anyway, this was an emotional response here in John 13, 37. The Lord saw that the disciples were upset. He knew it. And this is what he says to Peter. Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the crooster crows, you will disown me three times. And you know the very next verse that we have. How do we know that they're upset? Verse 14.1, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So they know Jesus is talking about his death. And they hit the panic button. They were emotional about it. So really, Peter's question wasn't really to ask where Christ was going. He was like, no, this is not going to happen to you. Uh-uh, no. In fact, wh what are you talking about you're going? No, I I'll die for you. So, so what Peter is really saying is you're not going because I will protect you. So really, even though Peter's response was, well, where are you going? That is not necessarily what Jesus wanted to hear. So let's dig into this a little bit more. Point B, upon hearing this news, they were all emotionally upset. We already saw that. John 13, 37 and 38, which we just read earlier, which was Peter's response. John 14, 1, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. And then in verse 27, we also have, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. 
And so, and then John 16, verse 6, where Jesus has, which is the context here, where he says, um, well, let's read 5. He says, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? But rather, he says in 6, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. So the fact that Christ said what he said got the disciples upset again. They were, well, they, they were never stopped. It never stopped being upset. And they could not focus. That's the point. Jesus would have loved to have them focus because through those details about his death, his burial, his resurrection, they would be assured. They would have peace. But no, they were emotionally upset. Literally filled with grief. In other words, it is as if Christ died right there in front of them. And they were grieving. That's how upset they were. And point C was the peace being left for the disciples was the discourse. Telling them explicitly what was going to happen. And we have that. Uh, 1426. I'll just review where it says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. See, because they needed the reminding because they really couldn't listen to what Jesus was saying. I, I Even though Christ laid the, laid the introduction down, I think they were so upset about it, they couldn't really pay attention. Christ told them he was leaving. In their mind, it was... So verse 29, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. And these are things that they needed assurance. And then verse 4, 16.4, where we are in our context, I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. He's talking about the religious persecution. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. We didn't need to. Uh, you had divine protection through me. So the disciples were upset. They really were not focused. And Jesus knew it. He would have loved for them to ask more questions like, let's, let's, let's get into this, where you're going. Let's, come, let's talk about that. Let's understand the plan. Because Jesus was operating according to a plan. He's not just saying, hey, they're going to be mad at me, so they're going to take me and crucify me. This is according to the plan. So, and then he would always say, and then after three days, I would be raised to life. But they didn't focus on any of that. If they had, they would have had the peace that Jesus left with them. As it is, they were going to go through the emotional roller coaster. <laughs> That's what they were going to do. So Christ continues to discuss this point. D. He continues to discuss his departure and is expecting the disciples to lean into it with more questions. But he must help them along. So what we find is Christ needed to discuss this and he created a context for it. So going back to John 14, uh, verse 4. He says, you know the way... To the place where I am going. You know the way. Now all of these questions. They know. Jesus talked about. He said. And so he was able to say to them. You know the way. But guess what? 
right now, uh, not all things, all bets are off. They did not know anything because of their emotional state. So when Jesus said, you know the way, it was to prompt them to ask about the way. So, so what did we get in verse 5? Verse five? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? So you know the way to, we don't know where you're going. We don't even know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? And Jesus had told them over and over. They have ignored it because they didn't want that reality to be true. They refused to believe it. it almost, they almost blocked it out because uh, in their minds, that reality was not in their theology. So Jesus kept saying, well, you know, when the Spirit comes, he's going to remind you of all these things I'm telling you. And he will tell you more as well. Much more you will know. So, so he continues to discuss it. Now, verse 7 is another example of it. Uh, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, Father except through me. Verse 7, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, really, they should have said yes. From all the teaching and talking about the father, and I've come to do the father's will. I'm not come to do my will. Come to... All that talking, you would have thought they could have nodded their head and said yes. But no, they were emotionally upset. So what does Philip say? Lord, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And then 16.5, um, more questions here. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going, right? <laughs> Rather, you are filled with grief because I said these things. He wants them to ask, where are you going? What's going on? Tell us in detail. <laughs> Give us the de the deal with you leaving here, Lord. But no, what are the disciples doing? They're filled with grief. They're mourning already. They're stuck. And a lot of times, we can't get out of our own way because of the things that we have in our head. You know, the way we think it should go. When that doesn't happen, we're just so disappointed, so dejected and... And, and we feel as though the world has come crashing down upon us. Where's God? You know. But God has all things under his control. Things are happening. Remember, no temptation has taken you beyond what you can bear. God knows that you have to go through some trouble in this world. He knows that in this world there's going to be difficulties, stress from all that's going on down here. If you think this world is great and all there's no problems and you have peace and all, all you got to do is turn on the news. <laughs> Look at the news. And this is not something that has just happened. This has been going on. I mean, and it will continue. This is what we come to understand by living in a world like this, that it is not our home, that this is an evil like Sam Cooke said, it's a mean old world to live in. Right? This is really a tough place to live. That, But we are here and we're on a mission. This was, and it's temporary. It's fleeting. Right? James said, 
this world, our lives are but like a vapor. You see them today, you look at it, it's clearly a vapor, but then it's gone. You don't see it anymore. Death is a part of the landscape here. And this, this is what we are used to in this. We're used to calamities and tragedies and uh, atrocities. And I could go on. We're used to that. We've become numb to such things. This is not some utopia. I don't care what you built for yourself here. All around you, people are dying. And you have no empathy, no thought uh, of... Even if you're, you're okay, what about other people? This is the world we live in. It is a mess. And that's, that's how uh, we should understand. The time that we have here is a time of service. We're on a mission. God has sent us into the world because we died. And now here we are. God has sent us into the world so that Christ could live through us. Our understanding of our calling, it bears upon all that. Like Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. So when we think about his departure here at this juncture, at this time, we're seeing how things are unfolding. And we're seeing how the disciples are responding to it. I would say they are responding humanly. How would, I mean, yeah, they could have understood more, but uh, we could say that. But humanly speaking, yeah, no, no one sees miracles. No one has seen anybody like Christ. And Christ said to them, you believe in God. Yeah, I know you do believe in God. Believe also in me. What I'm telling you, just know that that's from God as well. And the disciples didn't know that. They were second-guessing. They were like, oh, could that be true? What he said, I know he said he's going to die, but he doesn't really mean that. Oh, they did everything to try to, to, to get away from the reality of what was right before them. So let's keep going in our notes. So it says, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me. Where are you going? Rather, what they what's really going on in their hearts, rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. First point is disciples responded emotionally. We already gone over that. And Jesus was hoping for them to see the wisdom in the Father's plan. Maybe a little early. When it says I, I when we get to that verse where it says, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. Now we know why they couldn't bear these things. Why they couldn't really grapple with the detail of the Father's plan. And this is a very critical part of the Father's plan. That Jesus would come, present himself as a Messiah. He would be uh, preached, preaching the world. And, and, and then he would be taken up into glory. All of that is difficult. I mean, imagine you were at the time. You lived at that time. Would you have recognized the signs, the wonders that were happening? Would you have? And we would like to say, yeah, of course we would. Well, the disciples lived. They did it. They were there. And we have the record of what 
they experienced and how they handled it. They may, they may not have handled it perfectly. Yeah, not perfectly. But they survived. And they are the foundation of the church. It is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. They did succeed. They did prevail. He, yes, Jesus wanted, he had much more to tell him. Jesus knew much more, but he couldn't tell them all because they couldn't understand it. He, he prompted them. The questions that came were prompted by Jesus, like begging the question. I know you already noticed because I already taught this to you. I know you already noticed because I taught it to you. And I know you don't, you're not going to say it because you don't believe it. You don't trust it. So he's reminding them of all these things. So when Christ, when all these things come to pass, just like Christ says, when he is put on the cross, when he does uh, rise from the dead, and the disciples first unbelieving, and then they come to see him physically and examine him. They were like, wow. And then the power of the Spirit comes. Wow. It's the disciples couldn't be more bold. They are fierce. And they go out preaching Christ and who he was, and how he died, and, and how they went through that emotional roller coaster. How he was persecuted by those religious people. They put him on the cross. They killed him. Yeah, this, this is what they went out and they preached. So Jesus wanted that interaction. He wanted that theological conversation with them. They weren't ready for it. He gets to have that with them later through the ministry of the Spirit. Point B, they are adjusting to the reality of not having Jesus. So in their mind, it, it is like losing a, a loved one, right? And as I said, to know grief is normal when we lose someone we love. John 16, 20 is our text. It says, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Why would the world be rejoicing? Because they got rid of Christ. They hated him. The religious people hated him. The world hated him. And the world hates us. Religious people hate us. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So notice, they will weep and mourn. Satan got rid of Christ. He thought the cross could hold him. He says, well, I'll get him crude. I'll get him hang the worst death I can think of. I'm gonna that's gonna be the death that I coerce and arrange for Christ. He got Christ on the cross, but then that was exactly what the Father's plan was. And the Father's plan prevailed. He triumphed over him by means of the cross. It wasn't a victory for Satan. It turned out to be a victory for the Father's plan. <laughs> How can you beat the Father's plan? He knows the end from the beginning. So God even uses the wrath of man and angels, I've added, to praise him. After it's all said and done, we are so we are we are here because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 
Three things that sound crazy. The death and burial, that's bad. And the resurrection of Christ. That's why we're here today as the church. Yeah. So they're, they're, the disciples are adjusting to this new reality. They're going to mourn. They're going to grieve. That's what's happening. If Jesus even speaks these words to them. They can't even hear it. They, you know, some people are like that. You know, when there's bad news, they don't want to hear it. They can't handle it. They literally fall apart in front of you. Uh, and and sometimes family members know that, so they say, "Well, to the doctors, you know, they, there's bad news. Don't, don't don't tell them." Tell us, let us break it to them in a better way, an easier way, because we know how they're going to react. Some people are more emotional than others. I mean, listen, I hate to hear bad news, but you know what? Let's get it over with. Just tell me, please. Just tell me straight. Other people can't handle it that way. So we all grieve in different ways. We all handle emotional. And it depends on what the, thing, the event is what type of event it is it's hard to hear so grief is normal we, we miss something someone we love it's normal that we are a little bit uh, disoriented through grief and mourning God doesn't take that away from us he doesn't say stop this grieving he tells us in, in fact there is a time for mourning it's a time for grieving so we we expect it, that that's a normal human emotion. We miss, especially in this world, <laughs> grief. Mourning is, is the order of the day. I mean, I mean, even the world, you know, that person is in our thoughts and prayers. Because this is so common. Especially what's happening with these mass killings, these people popping out a gun and, and just killing innocent people who have no reason, no clue. The next thing you know, they're in eternity. This is the world we live in. So the disciples are orienting to this. Christ has been telling them, he's been telling them, he's been telling them. And now he's like, no, it's happening right now. This is the day I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be abused right before your very eyes. All the other times I've escaped, I got away. No one laid a hand on me. But now, they're going to take me. I'm going to be abused, beaten beyond recognition. And they're going to hang me on the cross. I'm going to be whipped. All these things are going to happen to me. They're going to pull out my beard. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to malign me. They're going to lie on me. All these things are getting ready to happen. Disciples. Have, they have to adjust. Point C, Jesus told them what they needed to know, the truth. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear because it may shatter false realities we build for ourselves. Because we think we're living in some kind of cocoon where nothing can touch us, nothing can take us, nothing can affect us. But really, We've built that up in our mind. Anything can happen to us in this world. And some Christians have come up with, yeah, when anything happened, God's going to deliver you from it. No, not always. You may have to bear it. Endure it. God's not always going to 
get you the free. You may be a martyr. What, what about all those Christians in the first century? And there are Christians now, today, that are becoming martyrs for God. God allows that to happen on the battlefield. And you know, if we don't die that way, we're going to die some other way. We're leaving. So we might as well serve the Lord, allow him to gain the, the victory through our lives again, yet again. He's already conquered this world, but yet he will continue to conquer this world through us. So just like the disciples had all these false realities about who the Messiah was, what he would do, and where'd they get them from? They got them from the religious leaders of the day. What should they have been paying attention to? The word of God. Had they been paying attention to the word of God, they would have set the record straight. And we do this. Even a lot of times we have unrealistic expectations about what God's going to do for us, who we are in this world, what is our lot, the fact that there, should, there will be trouble for us. The world will not bend to us, not yield to us. This is not the reality. So when those things happen, when we get to those points where things don't go our way, we're upset. Or we lose a loved one. We're upset. But this is the world. This is where we are. We have to understand that we're here to serve. So point D. This is just a quote, John 16, 22. So with you... Now is your time of grief. And that's really what was happening with the disciples right there. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. See, joy doesn't just come through good things happening. They had to go through that to see the joy. If Christ hadn't left, hadn't gone in such a stark and terrible way, then they wouldn't have that joy to experience after when Christ says, and no one will take away your joy. So we're talking about the foundation of the church, the apostles. They had it. It didn't matter whether it was sword or the flames or, or uh, persecution, religious persecution, the cross. It doesn't matter. No one will take away your joy. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We're so privileged to be here at this time in human history. A time where even before the creation of the universe, you chose us to be in Christ. We thank you. The way we can show our appreciation is to love you back. So we pray for the church and the world today. We saw what happened to the disciples. We saw how they vacillated through the emotional roller coaster that they were on. So, Father, we, we pray as we go through difficult times here as well, that we will be stabilized, that we will have the peace that passes understanding. And that is the knowledge that we are in your plan. We are in the, the Father's purpose, the, the eternal purpose. That is part of our lives. 
So we thank you for this church. We thank you for the resurrection day that we have before us, traditionally speaking. And if we have an opportunity to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so be it. We thank you for that opportunity in enemy territory. All of these things we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.